as we continue this series, The Journey. And we're getting very close, by the way, to wrapping up this series, uh, and then we'll be moving on to something else. Mark Driscoll, recently I heard him say, um, a pastor starting a new sermon series is like a kid on Christmas morning, and it's true. You know, you love getting into these series and getting really deep into Scripture, but I always look forward to starting the next thing. And so that's coming up. The next two Sundays, just to let you know, we'll be pausing this series, however, for some special services. Next Sunday, uh, Bob Sandler is coming to speak. Bob is our district youth director for the South Carolina Assemblies of God, which is headquartered in Columbia, South Carolina. Bob and I have been friends for well over 20 years, and we've ministered together at the state level at district youth conventions, and we've been on missions trips together. Bob is also a graduate of the same seminary in England where I've been attending. So we have some great history together, and I've asked him to come speak next week. So he'll be here next Sunday. The following Sunday, as you know, is our one-year anniversary service. Uh, which we'll be focusing on other things, and that'll be a fun time. And, uh, and then after that, the first Sunday in November, we'll most likely wrap up this series, The Journey. So if you've missed any of the sermons, I've had people who've been coming here quite some time say, man, I'm sorry I missed that sermon. I wish I could go back and listen to it. And I realize we don't make this announcement often, but just to be sure that you know, uh, all of the sermons from the time we opened the church are on our website. If you go on to... Uh, upcountrychurch.org and click the messages tab. You can download any sermon that, that we've had, even from our guests from day one. So that's all on there if you want to catch up on any of the sermons. For today, though, we're going to talk about devotion. Last week, we, we arrived at Mount Sinai with Moses and the Israelites, which was the beginning of this year-long encampment where God really began to express to his people exactly who they were and what was expected of them and what they were capable of as the chosen people of God. He was revealing to the Hebrews their true identity in him. And now as the story progresses, part of this process during their encampment at Sinai was, giving, was God giving the people through Moses the rest of the law, which includes the ceremonial laws and, and rules for living and for health and the feasts that would symbolize and celebrate these great acts of faithfulness by God. Guidelines uh, for constructing the temple, the tabernacle, and the furniture, and the Ark of the Covenant. That's all in there. And it goes throughout the rest of the book of Exodus, and through Leviticus, and parts of Numbers and Deuteronomy, even as they depart from Sinai and continue their travels. And there's a pattern that develops that really begins even before the Israelites leave Egypt. And it continues throughout their wanderings, and certainly the rest of Moses' life. And the pattern is that the people of God love and follow Moses until they get uncomfortable or impatient or they disagree with his leadership or basically any time that he does anything at all that is other than what they want him to do, they turn on him, sometimes viciously. And time after time after time, the Bible says that Moses falls on his face and pleads with God not to completely wipe them out. And invariably, God spares some or all of them because, because Moses passionately pleads with the Lord not to kill them. In fact, at one point in Exodus 32, Moses asks God to forgive the Israelites, and he says, but if you will not forgive them, then please blot me out of your book that you've written. He's willing to be killed and separated from God forever for the sake of these people who are almost constantly not only against him, but at times just writing him off completely. This is, this is incredible to me. 
And it's further evidence that Moses was a man completely devoted to God and to God's people. His life was a demonstration of devotion for all of us. Devotion to God and devotion to God's people. And we're going to look at both of those today. Okay? But first, let's talk about devotion to God. No matter what Moses is asked to do by God, he does it. Sometimes it's fasting 40 days and nights. It's sometimes leading the people through unbelievably difficult circumstances, which we've witnessed over the past several weeks of this journey. Sometimes it's confronting his enemies. But more than any of this, Moses' devotion to God is seen through this absolute resolve to be with God. And he makes it clear that if he can't be with God, then he's not interested in going any further. You see, Moses knows that, that a journey without God isn't one worth taking. So we're going to pick up the story in Exodus chapter 33. We'll start on verse 1. But just to set the scene here, this is, this is after Moses had gone up on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, for 40 days and nights. And while he was gone, the people of Israel get tired of waiting for him to come back and lead them. So they decide to take matters into their own hands. You know the story. And they convince Aaron to make them a giant golden calf to worship. And if this seems strange to you, by the way, that the Israelites would make a cow to worship, keep in mind that they had just come out of several hundred years of living with the Egyptians where animal worship was the norm. Okay? And, and in Acts 7, 39 through 41, when Stephen was giving a speech to the Sanhedrin, to these religious leaders there, he recounts the, these events in Exodus. And he's talking about Moses and the Israelites. And Stephen says, Our fathers refused to obey him, referring to Moses, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts they returned, or excuse me, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. And for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Okay, so the Israelites here are simply reverting back to their old ways. They, they got away from God and His ways for just a little while. And they fall right back into their old habits, their old ways of living, their old lifestyle, their past sin. That sounds familiar to me. That's happened in my life. And I've seen throughout my life it happen to people. It's so easy to to back off of following God for just a little while and then in just a few weeks and before you realize it you revert back to your old ways it's actually easy to do because it's what we know it's what we're familiar with but we have to be very very careful that just because we may be at a place in our lives where we don't necessarily feel like we're hearing God speaking to us or we can't see his leadership in our lives that we don't automatically default back to our old, old ways of living. Have to continue to seek God and wait on him when necessary. Wait on him to speak or to move or to act on our behalf. This is part of living a life that is devoted to God. We seek him even when we can't see him. We follow his path, his, his plan, even when it's uncertain. And we wait on him to guide us before we act. But the Israelites here fail on every level. And they revert right back to their old ways. So let's pick up the story in Exodus 33. After Moses destroys the idol, he comes down off the mountain. God sends judgment on the people. And now God tells Moses that it's time to move on. 33.1. The Lord said to Moses, 
Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. This is a really, really big deal. God says, get back on the path that I've set out for you. And I'll reward you and and protect you because I promised you that I would. But I'm not going with you. We often deride the Israelites. You know, we give them a hard time because of their behavior in the Bible. And rightly so. They were fickle people. But to their credit, they responded to this news that God wouldn't be going with them just as they should have. Verse 4. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You're a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Okay? So at least they took the realization that they would be going without God very seriously. They were mourning, in fact, and humbled themselves, stripped themselves of their ornaments to humble themselves, which is more than I can say for some people today. I'm personally convinced that there are professing Christians today who are far more concerned about God's blessing and provision and protection than they are about His presence. I hate to say that, but it's true. And I wonder how many Christians today, if they, had, if they had been there that day in Sinai, when he said to them, I'm going to give you the inheritance, all the promise, the land flowing with milk and honey, and I'm going to drive out all your enemies, and I'm going to protect you. But I won't be there. I wonder how many Christians today would mourn, or would we rejoice because of all the blessing we're about to receive. That's a hard word, I know. I know that's a bit of a hard word. But take it to heart, as I have just in the last few years of my life had to come and reconcile that and ask yourself, am I more interested in blessing, provision, and protection or His presence? If you can't answer the latter honestly, then I think it's time for us to mourn, to humble ourselves and seek Him above every blessing, above every other relationship, above all things, because without Him in the end, we have nothing. Okay, and almost surprisingly to me, the Israelites seem to understand that, at least on this occasion, and Moses certainly understood it, as we'll see. Let's continue to read verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone up into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Okay, so this is just... 
putting into context this piece of scripture, the change that was taking place. By reiterating the closeness and the, the standard of God's presence that Moses and the Hebrew people had grown accustomed to. This is the, the relationship with and the proximity to the Spirit of God that had become normal for them. Okay, and now God's saying, go ahead, you know, go ahead. Run and get all your blessings, but you're going without me. And then we see Moses, who fully understands the gravity of going anywhere without God, responding in a way that we should pay very close attention to. This is, this is the definition of devotion to God. Verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. In other words, God, if you're not going to be there, neither am I. Because I have absolutely no interest in being anywhere without you. Can you hear the cry of Moses' heart when he calls out? His, his, he's desperate for the presence of God to the exclusion of all blessing and provision and protection. All that matters to Moses is that the Lord is with him. Let's read verse 16. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? In other words, none of this means anything if you're not going with us. Without you, God... We're no different than anyone else in the world. You have to go with us. Verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Okay? Great news for Moses. God expresses his pleasure in Moses, but it isn't enough. It isn't enough. What a beautiful expression of devotion to God as Moses asked the most intimate request of the God that he knows and loves more than anything or anyone else. Verse 18, And Moses said, Please, show me your glory. God's already told him, I'm going to go with you. He said, verse 14, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then in verse 17, he says, This very thing you've spoken, I will do. Hey, I'm, I said, yeah, okay. But yes, Moses, I said I would do it. He repeats himself. But Moses wants more. He wants communion with God. He's desperate to be with the Father. The thought of God not being with him is unthinkable. And God responds, verse 19, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. 
Aside from the gospel accounts of Christ himself, this is one of the most powerful and striking examples in scripture of someone who's completely and totally devoted to God. Moses has absolutely no interest in blessing, in provision, or protection if God isn't going to be with him. This is a truth that we all need to reconcile in our own lives. See, it isn't necessarily a matter of having to live without blessing and provision and protection. The question is, if you had to choose, what would your choice be? Would you, would you reject blessing and provision and protection if it meant living without God? And that's not something to be answered lightly. It may require some real soul-searching on our part, but it's a question that we all need to answer, and we need to answer it honestly. Because this world, as I'm sure you know, will tantalize you with blessing and provision and protection. And we can even say that, that it's from God, and that wouldn't be wrong. But would you be willing to give all of that up if that's what it took to be with God? I'll tell you firsthand that the reason it matters that we answer this question is because there will most assuredly be times in your life when God will ask you to sacrifice something, to give something or some things up for Him. There may be times when He asks you to do without for a while so you can grow closer to Him. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, by the way. It's amazing to me just how many of our families here are here because you gave up a former life or left a church that you were very happy at to be a part of this ministry and you sold stuff and you moved here to pursue God and this calling in your life and help us build this church. We're, we're living the same story and I know that. And it's actually a great confirmation to me that God has brought us all together. But this is a question that we all need to answer and revisit as often as necessary because the moment that blessing and provision and protection become more important in our life than God's presence, that's the moment of departure from God's plan for us. And you can still, he'll allow you to leave the path if you press your will over his. He'll allow you to experience blessing and provision and protection in spite of it. But in the end, what do you really have? Nothing. You see, we've errantly taught in our churches that if you're blessed and prosperous and secure, that you must be in God's will. Like that's some kind of litmus test for faithfulness and righteousness, but that isn't always the case. Sometimes he blesses us, or obviously, for things that we do for him, clearly. But that isn't always the case. Sometimes being in his will means sacrifice. Sometimes it means lean times. Sometimes it means doing without. And Moses understood this. Okay, He understood that devotion to God was priority over everything else. And coming in second place to that a very close second, was devotion to each other. And that's our second point today. We've already outlined the fact that the Hebrew people routinely came against Moses throughout their journey, right? And time after time, when God was about to destroy them, Moses falls on his face before God and he, and he begs him to spare these people. The same people that complain to him, the same people that don't honor him, don't appreciate him, don't respect him, or even remotely take into consideration all that Moses has given up for them. And yet Moses is willing to die for them and even give up his own inheritance and in God for their sake. His devotion for God's people is second in scripture only to Jesus Christ. 
And you know, it's one thing when, when people that you don't know so well turn on you. That's hard enough. But when those closest to you turn on you, your closest friends, your family, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ, talk about having your devotion tested, right? Let's uh, turn to Numbers chapter 12, starting on verse 1, and we'll just read a bit. Up to this point, Moses has been confronted with just about every kind of problem and obstacle that you can think of, including the people that he's given up his life for coming against him. And every time they turn, he humbles himself. He cries out to God to spare them. And again, that's this pattern that's, that's happening throughout this whole journey. So it's almost now a regular occurrence up to this point. But then in Numbers 12, something very different happens. Something that I don't think Moses probably ever saw coming. Because all the while, as the people of Israel are railing against him, his closest companions, his family, they're standing with him. Aaron, his brother, the high priest, who's been with him from the beginning, and Miriam, his own sister, the, the prophetess, who helped save Moses as a baby. Probably the last two people that Moses would ever think of who would betray him, they do just that. They turn on him. Let's read Numbers 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. That's important. We don't know a whole lot about the Cushite wife other than what's mentioned here. This could have been Zipporah. Zipporah was a Midianite, but some scholars believe that Midian and Cushan are uh, generally it's the same place. However, Cush, which is another root for Cushite, is generally a reference to ancient Ethiopia. So it could have been Zipporah, it could have been a second wife, an Ethiopian woman that Moses married later. We don't really know. But we do know, what we know for certain, there's widespread agreement among scholars is that the issue with Moses' wife here wasn't really the issue at all. Miriam and Aaron were challenging Moses' authority and they were trying to cover their true intentions by using this Cushite wife as an excuse, particularly when considering his wife as being an Ethiopian or a Midianite because there may well have been some prejudice being exercised here toward the wife of a Hebrew leader, a wife that is of African descent or of a Midianite descent, okay? So they're saying, look, hey everybody, this guy married someone outside of our chosen race. So why should we trust what he says? Doesn't God speak through us also? So the Cushite wife is really a pretense Right, a cover for the true intentions of Miriam and Aaron, which is to grab power from Moses. The first time I read this, I was thinking if I was Moses, just like the situation with Jethro earlier, it would have been really easy to say, you know what, God? I've been abused by these Israelites for trying to help them for a long time now. And up to now, I've put up with it. I've taken it. I've, I've cried out for them. I've served them. But now my own brother and sister, my family, have turned on me. And I'm done. I've had it. You and me, God, make a pretty good team. I don't even think we need them. That's where my heart is when I read it, right? And you know, after reading all that's happened up to now and the way that God responds to Moses over and over again, I get the feeling that if Moses had said something like that, 
God may have just put his hand right down there in front of Miriam and Aaron and just flicked them right off the face of the earth. <laughs> it's going to kind of want to happen. But of course, that's not what happened. Once again, Moses makes me look bad. All right, verse 3. Go back to Numbers 12. Now the man Moses was very meek. Of course he was. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. Which is a nice way of saying that once again, Moses just takes it. So God intervenes, verse 4. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. You know that had to be a bad feeling. <laughs> hey, hey, you three, come here. They get to the tent, and, and here comes God in a pillar of, which you can't even imagine what that would be like, right? His presence of God comes down in a pillar of cloud. And he says, okay, now you two, come over here. Now, you know Moses was just saying, thank you, Jesus, I get to be back here in the tent. <laughs> Verse 6, and he said, hear my words, if there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Oh. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. So God strikes Miriam with leprosy. And the first words out of Aaron's mouth are very telling. Verse 11. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. See, Aaron doesn't cry out, O Miriam! Or, please, Lord, heal my sister. Moses, do something for Miriam. His first response is, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. You know what Aaron's thinking? I know exactly what Aaron's thinking. <laughs> Holy cow, I'm next. That's what's going through Aaron's mind. He's thinking about himself which is what got him into this situation to begin with. And then after he worries about himself for a minute or two, he goes, oh yeah, and then there's Miriam. Verse 12, let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. It's referring to a stillborn child. So Miriam and Aaron have clearly seen the error of their ways. And we see no response from God whatsoever until Moses speaks. And what does he say? Verse 13, and Moses cried to the Lord, oh God, please heal her. Please. As usual in humility, Moses prays for God to save those who've come against him. And it's only after Moses speaks that God responds, which is just another slap in the face of Miriam and Aaron. He said, Look, I'm not going to, I left. I'm not going to talk to you. I'll talk to him about you if he wants to talk. <laughs> Verse 14 But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her shut, be shut outside of the camp seven days, and after that, she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside of the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until Miriam was brought in again. It was customary in those days. If a child shamed her father, 
that she would be shamed in return for seven days. So that was a custom. And God says, we're at least going to do that. So Miriam has to suffer this skin condition and be shamed outside the camp for seven days, and then she's healed. How many times would the Israelites have been wiped out if it wasn't for the devotion of Moses to his own people, to his own family? Through their mistakes, through their sin, through their faithlessness, their weakness, even through their direct attacks on him, Moses is completely devoted to the people of God. It's astounding. There's so much for us to learn here. Our, our culture has an out for every relationship that we're a part of. If it doesn't work, just quit. Get a prenuptial agreement. Okay? Protect yourself. Walk away. Start over with someone new. Devotion is something that endures through hurt and rejection and even suffering when we're completely devoted first to God and then to each other. Our relationships with each other and with Him become deeper. They strengthen in a way that is enduring. Why does that matter? First, it matters because what we can accomplish together will only reach as far as our relationships are deep. When our relationships are shallow, our ministry will be weak. There's a direct correlation between what we can accomplish together and the strength or the depth of our relationships. When we're completely devoted to God and to one another, we can accomplish far more for the kingdom of God. Why? Why is that? Because the further down the road of mission and ministry that we travel together, the more we will be tested. And if at every time of testing, somebody bails out on the relationship, our progress is stalled. But if every time we're tested, we remain devoted to each other, we'll overcome those obstacles together, and our accomplishments for Christ and for His kingdom will begin to multiply exponentially. The depth of our devotion determines the pace of our progress. By the way, I know that sounds like a catchphrase, and I wasn't trying to do that when I wrote it. It's just what came out, but it's true. The depth of our devotion determines the pace of our progress. The more devoted we are to God and to one another, the faster this ministry will grow. The faster this church will grow. We will grow as, as individuals, and the more productive we will become for the sake of Christ. The depth of our devotion determines the pace of our progress. Man, put it on your refrigerator. It's a, it's a great truth. And secondly, why does devotion matter? Because the world is watching. The world is constantly looking for something to believe in. We see it in our pop culture constantly. And when they see a church, a ministry, a group of Christians doing something big, something bold, you know, something audacious, the world takes notice. And the moment our devotion to God and to one another fails, they write us off. Those Christians aren't any different than anyone else. Make no mistake, the world is watching. They're watching to see what we will do to see how we'll respond when the heat get turned, gets turned up. They act like they're not watching, but they are. What did, what did Moses ask God in Exodus 33, 6? Right after God informs him 
informs Israel that he's not going to go with them. We already read it. Moses says, For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? In other words, if we're not together, if you're not with us, how will the world know that we're any different than anyone else? You see? The world is watching. They want to see how deep our devotion goes. The depth of our devotion will determine the pace of our progress. In John 13, 35, Jesus says to his disciples, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's devotion to God. Devotion to others. The question today for us is how deep will you allow your devotion to go? How deep will you allow your devotion to go? We have to answer that question. Because it won't happen by itself. It's an intentional thing that we have to work at and work through. And it means endurance. And it means putting up with. And it means forgiving. And it means grace. It means love. It means we keep going. And we don't want to keep going. When it's hard, when I'm hurt, when I'm down, when I'm tired, when I've had enough, I'm going to keep going. That's how our devotion is strengthened, through endurance and testing. And we will be tested. The depth of our devotion will determine the pace of our progress. How deep will you allow your devotion to go? Every single part of this journey that we're all on together will be directly affected by your answer to that question. Let's pray.